we need courage to unretire and create a new beginning. It's very easy to be complacent when you're retired. It's comfortable. Why would you want to rock the boat? This is a show where we'll explore what it means to retire with purpose. To make a difference, to invest in your family, your community, to live to your full potential and explore abundant opportunities to live with purpose and community. From Garden Spot Communities in New Holland, Pennsylvania, welcome to Purpose in Retirement. I'm Scott Miller, the Chief Marketing Officer at Garden Spot Communities. And I'm Juanita Fox, the Storyteller. In this season of Purpose in Retirement, we're going to talk with experts who are sharing ways that innovation and our perspective on retirement can improve the quality of our lives and help us to live with purpose and community. In this episode, we're talking with George Jurgen, author of the recently released book, Dare to Discover Your Purpose. George has written many books over the years, um, but this one challenged the way that we think about retirement. In the book and our podcast, George shares a pivotal moment where everything changed for him. The moment where he realized he needed the courage to find his purpose. In just a moment, we'll talk with George. George, thank you uh, for joining us today. Great to be on your show. You know, to get our conversation started, George, would you be willing to share your story with us? Sure, Juanita. Um, I guess it all started back in January 2007 when um, three unrelated events uh, came together to create a perfect storm in my life. Uh, the first one was uh, we were moving homes, which is stressful enough. Mm-hmm. Then we got news that my wife's father had a stroke. And so we went to see him and within a week he was dead. Oh my! And And then the third one was I had a colonoscopy appointment, um, which uh, revealed that I had a bone tumor. And so I had to see an oncologist. um, And he said that bone tumor is a secondary cancer, which means that in 98% of cases, that's 98% of cases, it's secondary cancer, and it's spread around your body, which means you're looking at six months of life. Oh, my so that was a that was the uh, the kickoff and for so for three weeks while i was undergoing tests i had the sort of damocles on my head that that's it my time's up and i was married with two young teenage girls um i thought you know death would um, would scare me uh, but it didn't but what was really getting to me was that my two teenage daughters wouldn't have me around mm-hmm. while they were growing yeah. up that was killing me. So that that's what kicked off this whole thing of retirement for me at the age of 52, because when you get news like this, your mind pivots, you know, it's not, you can't go back to unknowing something. Um, And so I, you know, so three weeks later, I go to the oncologist and he tells me the tests have been good. I belong to the 2% club. Wow. Meaning that my tumor is benign, it is local, but it's aggressive. So it needed surgery, two surgeries, and I would need to start to learn to walk again for six months. But, you know, having my death sentence commuted to six months of convalescence was a pretty good deal, I thought. Wow. <laughs> I retired at that point. 
um, because I didn't know what else to do. I, I need time was important, precious, and I wanted to retire or semi-retire so that I could figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Well, that is like that's just an incredible story that um, um, that takes a lot of resilience just simply to, to work through. Um, what I, what I'm wondering now is like what was what was that pivotal moment that you decided to um, rethink retirement um, after you had gotten through these things? Sure. Well, you know, I, I didn't even know what retirement was. So I semi-retired um, and I got involved in funding a litigation on my father-in-law's estate. Um, and I'm a writer, so I, I write books, but I wasn't able to do much else. I was constrained, um, but I had a lot of free time in between. So the first 12 months, I think, was the honeymoon period where, you know, everything's rosy. You think it's rosy. <laughs> and then after 12 months, it becomes humdrum, dull. Um, it's like every day is a Saturday. Um, there's not much fun, not much um, to make you jump out of bed in the morning. And, you know, I did this for 10 years. So you can imagine um, it got to the point where it was just terrible. And I, you know, started looking into this retirement thing and, you know, what it's about. Um, I ended up wanting to um, uh, learn how to change my mindset. And that journey took me to, um, to do a 30 day silent retreat in North Wales in the UK um, to, to just discover what it is I wanted to do. And I needed to do that in total silence, away from all the white noise, emails, newspapers, um, magazines, uh, the internet, um, and, and literally to just completely decouple from everyday life and go into the silence to find out what my soul wants to do because I recognized how important time was um, for me. And in that 30 day silent retreat, I discovered my inner voice. I discovered a new way to do things. And one of the things that came to me was that to unretire and start uh, create a new beginning for myself. So that's how it kicked off. I was just thinking like, <clears throat> you know, it would be nice if um, one way or another we could, we could, find ways to go and do those retreats before they're driven by critical decisions, you know, um, just to get our life on track for us and maybe in different directions, but add some purpose even throughout the course of our careers. Uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Scott. I mean, that's the kind of thinking that I had, but um, having had time in this space to think, reflect, uh, meditate, I realized that crises are actually uh, opportunities. And when you look at the word crisis, the, the true meaning of the word is a turning point. However, in our language, we have a way to debase and depreciate words and create some new nuance for it. And so when we hear about crises, it's always a bad thing. Um, whereas in fact, all it means is a turning point. And I think life gives us these um, to help us jog on and instead of staying stuck where we are. 
Uh, and you're right, Scott. I mean, I think sometimes I wish I'd known this so much earlier. I would have made so much better use of my time. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, life is what it is. And um, so, uh, in fact, my previous book, to Dare, was a book called Spirit of Gratitude, uh, Crises, uh, Opportunities. And that was based on my 30-day silent retreat where I was able to reflect oh, on the good things that had happened to me and the not so good things and recognizing that the the bad things that happened to me the crises um were actually essential for me to find new opportunities and that new opportunities would never have come about without the preceding crisis if that makes sense it does yeah there is a there is a lot of wisdom in that um absolutely you know George, you mentioned the Spirit of Gratitude book that you had written. Um, as I was learning a little bit more about you, I, I realized you've written a series of books. Could you give us just a kind of a, a summary of those and what were the, the reasons for writing those stories? Yeah, sure. Um, I've written 11 books altogether, but um, I used to be a financial advisor in my earlier incarnation. Um, and I wrote a book called, um, I'm trying to remember the first book. It was, uh, it was related to Shakespeare's Seven Ages. And it was dovetailing the seven ages of Shakespeare with financial planning. So that was my first book. Um, my background, of course, was in uh, journalism. I studied at uh, NYU, a master's degree in journalism. Um, and on the back of that, writing for me is a compulsion right mm -hmm. it's something i have to do mm -hmm. it's um uh i think it's always been part of my purpose and and writing for me is kind of just cataloging my journey or my understanding of things and wanting to share that with people um a lot of my earlier books were related to the businesses i was in um i i wrote books for example for Xerox. Um, I wrote a pivotal book for them, but um, it was never published because of in internal politics. Mm. Um, I've written a, a, a number of books on um, my ethnic background, uh, Armenians, um, and uh, it, always with a view to, um, to, to helping people um, in, in this area. And um, in the last five years, I've focused purely on um, self-development and um, finding new purpose in one's life because of my specific journey. You know, as you were as you were talking there a little bit, you said that um, you think that writing was always a part of your purpose, um, which leads me to the question of, you know, through your journey, when was it in your journey that you really realized, hey, this is more significant than when I thought it was, and then. How did your purpose then expand beyond that? Okay. Um, I have to go back to um, um, a time, I think it was back in 19, in, in the early 1990s, there was, uh, we, we were in a financial recession at the time and I was not happy in my marketing job. And um, I went to see a company called the Johnson O'Connor Research Foundation in New York City and I did a, a one day full test on my aptitudes to find out what aptitudes uh, come naturally to me on the basis that if you do what comes naturally to you and it's easy for you, you're going to be good at that. 
And I discovered mm -hmm. that communication was my strongest suit and that I was in, and they have records going back to 1935. And I discovered that I was in the top 2% of um, Americans who um, are in the communication field where mm -hmm. their strength is there. So that was kind of a, a big eye opener for me. And on the back of that, um, and I was, I was in my late thirties, I had to go back and study for GRE exams. Um, you know, I hadn't done quadratic equations in God knows <laughs> 30 years. I had to go back to learn how to do quadratic equations and some other algebraic equations to get through that GRE exam to get into NYU. Oh, wow. And so that, that in itself was another journey. But for me, going to NYU and studying <clears throat> journalism at, at a sort of in my late 30s was, and I wasn't the oldest one there. There was a guy in his 60s doing a master's degree in journalism. So I kind of re I've reinvented myself many times. And I think that's what we're called on to do in, in, in late life is we have to recreate ourselves because if we retire at 65, We've got another 30 years and possibly more. Now, of course, the paradox is that any one of us might not make it this, to this evening. But <laughs> yeah. statistically, most of us are going to make it to 90 and beyond. Well, I would say 96% of the population will outlive their savings. Mm -hmm. So if there's, mm -hmm. you know, and there are other reasons why you should create a new beginning for yourself, apart from the money equation, which is a daunting one. Um, but if you're not engaged, if you don't have purpose and you're not mentally engaged and socially engaged, you're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And the reason yeah. is that our minds start to deteriorate. And what we don't realize is in retirement, um, let me take a step back. There's a saying that um, in war, the first casualty is truth. Well, in retirement, the first casualty is identity. Mm -hmm. And people don't recognize that. You know, we're so financially focused that we think that that's the only thing we need to worry about. Everything else will take care of itself when we retire. Huge mistake, huge mistake. Because the first casualty is identity. As, you know, because our work is so tied in as, uh, into who we are as, as a person that when our work dissolves, uh, our identity starts to dissolve as well. And most of us are not aware of this. So we just pretend that, you know, if you were a lawyer, you're now a retired lawyer. We're, we're, this is sort of, um, this is delusional because we're deluding ourselves and pretending that we're still lawyers, even though we're retired. We're not. The lawyer part has gone. You're now retired, period. So that gives you a sense uh, of a lack of self-worth and self-esteem. And that hits your confidence. And it doesn't take very long before this starts to kick in. And lack of self-confidence then gets you to think, I don't really want to be going out anymore. Or you start to reduce your engagement, social engagement outside, because you just don't want to feel bad. That creates a sense of isolation and loneliness. And, and then, of course, it's all south after that. And there's very little yeah. chance of coming back. 
Because it all compounds on each other, right? So once you don't go outside, then you're like, oh, it's more comfortable where I am. And your circle gets smaller. Your world gets smaller. You know, we talk a lot about that one of the the tragedies of, of aging is that this isolation piece. And when people are living in community and connecting with people on a day-to-day basis, they're much healthier, they're going to live longer, you know, et cetera. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Juanita, that, you know, living in community is hugely important. Um, and the thing about isolation is that what um, what we fail to see and understand, um, and, and, and I think millions of people have retired and literally succumbed to the after effects of retirement, not knowing what was going on and, you know, tiptoeing into a quiet death, you know, it's horrific. But isolation is probably one of the most painful experiences humans can have. Um, And, you know, if we go back into sort of earlier societies, uh, you know, if if a person was to be punished, they didn't kill them. Uh, generally, they they would send them out of the village. They would be banished, Mm -hmm. exiled. And it's not just the physical um, manifestation of isolation. You know, you're on your own now. It's the mental and emotional pain that goes with it. And you just know, I mean, look look at um, in jails, you know, people are put in isolation. That's a sort of a double whammy. So isolation is uh, hugely underestimated. Um, and it's a very painful thing for humans. Yeah, I think, you know, our, our society doesn't doesn't appreciate it anymore, but we really do need a place where we belong um, and a place where we can, can contribute um, to the lives of others and, you know, have others speak into our lives as well. I totally agree with that, Scott. I think community um, is uh, ever more important, particularly in our society where communities have been decimated economic because of economic reasons and 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 so it's more compelling for us to create new communities in order we can engage and thrive in and you know it's a it's it's a mutual benefit for everyone you know earlier this year you released your most recent book um dare um, to discover your purpose can you unpack the dare acronym for us a little bit um help us understand what that is Absolutely. Um, It's a good question that Um, I use dare because we we need courage to unretire and create a new beginning. It's very easy to be complacent when you're retired. It's comfortable. Why would you want to rock the boat? But it's a it's um, it's it's a terrible place to stay because there's there's only one way. And, you know, it's the exit and it's a question of how long that exit is going to be for you and how painful it's going to be. Why would you want to do that? You know, if you've got another 30 years to go, create a new beginning. You need to have the courage to to do what your parents didn't do. Perhaps your friends are not doing. So courage is uh, hugely important. That's why I use the word dare, because that there's an element of courage involved in that. And also... Uh, the, the reason for courage is that um, I don't know if you recall ever seeing a book called Power Versus Force by um, <clears throat> David Hitchens. Uh, he was a professor, a physician who spent um, two, two decades measuring 
uh, emotions and mm. in, in hertz and uh, with muscle testing. And what he discovered was that all the lower emotions like shame, anger, guilt, those are very low frequency emotions. And the you know emotions like uh, joy, love, um, those are very high. They go all the way up to sort of 700,000 hertz. Whereas um, shame, anger, that sort of stuff is really low. They're less than 100. Courage is at 200 hertz. And the thing about courage is it's the platform from which you can access all the higher vibrations and feelings. Mm -hmm. Whereas below courage, you're entertaining really um, low vibrational um, feelings. And uh, the vast majority of the world are below 200. And so does it mean that if you reach 600, 700, that you, you can't go down to anger and shame those things? Absolutely not. Of course we can. Most of us are vibrating all the way up and down the scale. But the point is that when you do come down to the lower vibrations, that you're able to raise yourself up again in a short time. Now, I just say that to you as a side thing. The other reason the word DARE comes into the title of the book is because DARE is an acronym. It's an acronym for the following four letters or words. D is for discover, A is for assimilate, R is for rewire, and E is for expand. It's a process. So let me start with the D for there, uh, uh, the letter D for discover. That first part is about discovering what retirement is and what it is not. Uh, everybody has a different interpretation of what retirement is, and many of them are imaginative at best. But I focus on the, on the facts of what retirement is and what it's not, and what is a common denominator for all of us. D for discover, it's about really getting your hands dirty, understanding what retirement really is, not the imaginative idea that you have in your head. So that's the D. A is for assimilate. Assimilate new information about our minds. Because none of us are taught at school about our subconscious mind. We're trained to focus on the 1% of our mind, which is the conscious mind. And so you can imagine our entire educational system is predicated on educating us on the 1% of our mind and completely ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the 99%, which is our subconscious mind. So what do I mean by that? Well, we make New Year's resolutions, right? Mm -hmm. How many of us succeed? <laughs> I think the, the percentage of people who fail by J January 15 is pretty high. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and the reason is because our subconscious mind sabotages it. Our subconscious mind is like a thermostat. It's been programmed in us from early childhood and our educational system and our parents and, and, and families, etc. And so there are certain programs we have in our minds which which sabotages because it's not within the thermostatic range that we have. So we need to understand our, how our subconscious mind works in order that we can move to the third letter, R, 
which is to rewire our minds. And rewiring our minds is about finding a new way of living, which is going to, we, we don't eliminate what we had before our previous program, because you can't. For those of us who are a little older, you'd know that we, we used to be able to record overtapes in, in days gone by. And, this, and the subconscious mind works like that. We need to record over it. And, you know, it can be done reasonably quickly. It can be done by hypnosis. It can be done by various other um, ways of doing it. But when you do that, you're able to rewire your mind so that you can see things in a very different light. Um, his name's uh, Wayne Dyer said, if you change the way you look at something, what you look at changes. If you change the way you look at something, what you look at changes. And that's what the rewiring process is about. It's about changing the way you see things, the way you think. In order that, you can open up the whole new set of opportunities that would not have been available to you because you weren't even aware of them because of your perception, which leads to the next letter, E, for expand. And the expansion is, <clears throat> in retirement, we've got, you know, and I think Juanita, you mentioned this earlier on, about our sandbox getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Well, at 65, we need to be growing that sandbox, not going smaller, because we've got another 30 years to go. This is not a time to shut down. It's time to do the opposite. And so that's where your perception changes, the opportunities that are available to you that you can now see, which you couldn't see before, allows you to expand and to grow and to learn new things, not shut down and say, that's it, I'm done. Mm -hmm. We're a work in progress. One of the things when I look at the name of our podcast is Retire With Purpose. And so that, you know, presumes retirement. And one of the reasons we use the word retirement is because typically if you say to anyone who's in the workforce, if you want, you know, $200 million tomorrow, what would you do? And the first thing they say is retire because it's associated with, with freedom, right? And that may be, like you had said, that's a false perception, but that's still, that's the way that, that we see it. However, when, when we look at it, it's like, okay, that's what people expect from that. Then let's help them have a, 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 a whole number of opportunities to discover that purpose we're talking about and then provide a really strong community about around them. And so, so it's that sort of a lead into, in some senses, rediscovering yourself. Um, and I'm just curious what you think about that because we don't use the word senior because senior has such a very bad connotation um, in, in the societal context. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, um, Scott. I mean, people have this... Um, <clears throat> um, uh, lack of understanding of what retirement really is about and you know advertising the media uh, perpetuating this thing and it also financial services perpetuating this too um but i think it's come to the point where it's it's broken down uh but to to to, to sort of add a nuance to what you said our language the language we use is also 
hugely important. People don't like the words senior. They don't like the word elder. They mm -hmm. don't. They don't like anything to do with old age. It just. It's. It, it's. Um, we have this ingrained ageist attitude, which most of us are not even aware of. We don't even hear ourselves saying these things. And that's part of the problem. It, it's that ageism is an inside job. We look to blame companies for not recruiting, blame you know uh, the, the media, we blame Hollywood. But the blame is in us. It's just that we don't see it. We have ageist attitudes because that's how we were brought up. When we, when we talk about uh, how we move forward, in retirement it's recognizing that retirement is broken so what can we do about it well we boomers kind of created this problem ourselves in a sense because back in the day it was about youth it was about energy it was about beauty and now of course that we've all become much older now we're facing we're, we're fighting against that that darkness we're fighting against instead of welcoming it and recognizing the wisdom and the beauty that, is, that we have in age um, and the experiences we have that we can share, um, particularly in community as well. And not just in community, but inter-community, you know, intergenerational. Yeah. Um, so I think economic and political and social challenges that we face in the next few years and decades are going to force us to face our shadow self this this part of us that we don't like we don't like getting old we don't like getting wrinkly we don't like um disintegration well guess what um life is about progress and that's part of the progress and in a sense another reason why we don't realize the importance of time in our lives is because we've banished death uh, in our social consciousness, our society, our consumer society. You know, people don't want to face death, but actually death is a friend because if we recognize our mortality, if we recognize that death is just a process that we are going to, we're all going to die. It's a question of when. And the, the older we get, the closer we get to death, time becomes paramount and we need to recognize how lucky we are to be alive how grateful we should be for being alive and for you know having these wonderful experiences and be grateful you know first thing mm -hmm. in the morning waking up you are alive <laughs> what are you grateful for yeah. who are the people you love you know that sort of stuff and 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 the reason i say that is because gratefulness thankfulness um, thanking and thinking are not just linguistically connected, but they are neurologically connected. So if you're in a grateful state of mind, you're thinking right. If you're ungrateful for what you have, then nothing outside of you is going to give you joy. So you're not exactly thinking. Yeah. And that, you know, that idea of being um, the, the mortality piece kind of goes back to your first story that you told us where you had an experience where 
you were faced with your mortality. You thought you had six months to live. And so, and that ended up being a gift to you. And so often in our culture, we don't have that opportunity to be faced with our mortality and live today for the the joy and the purpose and the gratefulness that, that we should be carrying every day. You're absolutely right, Juanita. In a way, you know, that bone tumor incident for me was a blessing in disguise. I'm so, so grateful for it. So we've actually reached the end of our questions. So um, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience today? Um, other than uh, I have uh, two uh, courses, two programs. One is a pre-recorded one and one is a live uh, online, eight-week online course. They're both eight-week online courses. Um, I have the live on one starting on Wednesday, the 7th of September at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Mm. So okay. for those for those of your, cli- your, your clients who um, might be interested in looking at that, uh, go to my website, georgesturgeon.com and hover around the programs and see what you think. And if anybody's interested, we'd love to have you. Fantastic. Very good. Well, well, thank you. Well, you know, George, thank you for joining us today. This has been a very inspiring conversation. We appreciate your time. My thanks to you. Thank you, Juanita. Thank you, Scott. Much appreciated. Bye now. Bye. You know, George shared some pretty powerful ideas about retirement, didn't he? He did. We summarized his ideas in a PDF entitled Five Things to Do in Retirement. The PDF explains the five steps. One, courage. Two, discover. Three, assimilate. Four, rewire. And five, expand. You know, before we go, let's not forget about our giveaway. If you contact us through our website, gardenspotcommunities.org, and mention the podcast before December 31st, 2022, we will enter you into a drawing for a hot air balloon ride for two. Next month, we'll talk with Dr. Riley Moynes about the four phases of retirement. Thank you for listening to Purpose in Retirement. I'm Scott Miller. And I'm Juanita Fox. Special thanks to George Georgian for joining us for this podcast. Our senior producer and host is Scott Miller. And our co-host is Juanita Fox. Our producer is Sharon Sparks.